Funding for the Hinckley Report is made possible in part by the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report as a podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe at your go-to podcast platform. Good evening, and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have Robert Gerke, news columnist with the Salt Lake Tribune, Rosie Nguyen, anchor with ABC4 News, and Boyd Matheson, opinion editor for the Deseret News. Thank you for being with us tonight. I wanna jump right into something happening on the national stage, but where Utah is once again playing a role. Let's get to the second impeachment trial. Uh, Boyd, because I wanna start with you of former President Trump. Uh, Our two senators, very different roles, different positions. Talk about what those are and how you're hearing that they came to them. Yeah, I think the big thing that we're seeing is uh, you have uh, Mitt Romney saying, hey, we we have to make sure there is accountability uh, for something such as inciting a riot, you know, on the United States Capitol, that kind of insurrection needs accountability. Uh, You have on the other side, you have uh, Senator Lee, who is taking a more constitutional approach, saying he's no longer a sitting president. And so the Senate doesn't really have uh, the authority to do that. Uh, So that's where the really interesting debate is happening. Uh, And you see it not just within the uh, the walls of the Senate and Utah's delegation. uh, You also see it all the way over to the Supreme Court. Uh, Normally, you would have the Supreme Court uh, chief justice would preside. Uh, He's banking his entire decision not to preside on the word the, the <laughs> president. Uh, and because he doesn't think, uh, and, and obviously President Trump is no longer the sitting president, uh, Chief Justice Roberts says, I'm going to take a pass. Mm-hmm. So Patrick Leahy from Vermont, the president pro tem, uh, will preside over that. Mm-hmm. So Rosie, this is part of what's creating this divide because there's no clear answer on that. And that's why we have M- M- Senator Mitt Romney saying, oh, absolutely, incitement to insurrection must be accounted for. But you have our attorney, Mike Lee, Senator Mike Lee saying the Constitution does not allow for this. Yeah, the Utahns that I've spoken to, they're ready to move forward, right? And they're looking for uh, some leadership from our congressional representatives to kind of guide them in that sort of way. And when you have Senator Lee and Senator Romney who are saying two different things, you know, um, it really comes down to, should we to, should we stick to our, uh, what our representative is saying? Should we stick to party affiliation? Uh, do we make our own decisions? And some people at the end of the day, they're asking themselves, will this second impeachment trial do anything? Is this something just so it could be on the books? And so they're torn, they're trying to move forward here with right some of maybe uh, the executive orders or the bills that we're seeing um, up on the national level and now here we still have the second impeachment trial lingering so yes. for Utahns, I think some of them are ready to move forward yeah I think that that's true too Robert talk about what this means within the political party itself too because all these conversations right now are all within the Republican Party talk about how that's playing out because that division does not seem to be closing yeah, I think I think Boyd hit on it with this constitutionality question because that's created a, a bit of a, a dodge for a lot of the a lot of the members who maybe don't want to have to confront the issue directly. So so you know you're you're not going to have Mike Lee have to take a position on whether he thought you know the president's actions were impeachable because he says we can't impeach. So um, you know it it is it is a divide for the Republican Party. I think it's going to be uncomfortable for Mitt Romney, frankly, to come back to Utah and have to try to explain why he is supporting proceeding with this because you know as, as Rosie mentioned, I think uh, I think a lot of Utahns, I think a lot of Utah Republicans in particular, either don't feel it was impeachable what the president did, or that it, it's it's time to just proceed and, and you know move on with the Biden president. 
presidency. So I think that's going to be a, a difficult position for Senator Romney to, to explain to his Republican supporters. Mm -hmm. Boy, does he have time for that, this from Mitt Romney? Because this really is too different. We've done a poll recently where Mitt Romney did really well with the Democrats and the unaffiliated, not so well with his own party. D does that lessen uh, based on what's happening with this trial, or it's going to take some time, maybe? Yeah, I think it's going to take some time, and I, and I think one of the interesting things is the time element. Uh, you know, if the House would have immediately sent over the article of impeachment, they could have done it before uh, President Trump left office, uh, and that would have created a very different dynamic. To Robert's point, uh, would have caused a lot of people to have to really stake a position on a position uh, rather than a technicality. Uh, I think the other thing that's that's really interesting is, is there is going to be some tug and pull within the Democratic Party as well, uh, because how long will this trial actually go? Uh, the Democrats are probably thinking, we want to get this done swiftly so that we can get on to the Biden presidency agenda. Uh, the Republicans now may say, you know what, maybe, maybe the Democrats should have to swim in it a little bit, and they may drag it out. Uh, but in the end, I actually think both parties will say, hey, let's, let's make this a very quick trial, quick vote. Obviously, the vote on the constitutionality, I think, sent a pretty clear message in terms of where the numbers are. Uh, and so I think both sides in the end, this, again, this will always come down to a deal between Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell, uh, as most things happen in the United States Senate. Mm -hmm. I think we should take just a moment to talk about where Utahns are, w w really as it gives the flavor for how these elected officials are reacting. And it's, and it's a poll we, we recently conducted uh, with Boyd in the Desert News, but I want to talk about a couple of these numbers because it does give a flavor for how Utah's, Utahns feel about not these just these elected officials, but where these key issues are. So, so Rosie, I just want to give you a couple of these. So, you know, we asked uh, if, how people felt about the people breaking into the U.S. Capitol, this insurrection that happened, destroying the Capitol. I'll, I'll just give you the clear one, 90% of Utahns completely opposed to that. But when you break that down, it's a little different. Like, who is to blame, for example? And there are a lot of Republicans in the state of Utah that do not feel like President Trump had really much responsibility. In this particular case, 46% of the people said no responsibility at all for what happened. That's very, very interesting. Um, I, I think, you know, they're torn because at the same time, working in local media and journalism, it also, I think it depends on where these individuals are ingesting their information at the same time. And that's why I always encourage people to you know, get uncomfortable, look at information sourcing from outside of where you normally do. And maybe, just maybe, what I'm hearing from those that I've spoken to is perhaps some of these Utahns don't think that President Trump could be to blame depending on where they've been getting their information. Um, if they're they're getting it from just one side and they're not getting the other side, that could be influencing where they stand as far as is President Trump to blame for this. Mm -hmm. Robert, discuss that for just a moment. You do such great columns about this too, as you're talking to people, where they're getting their information, but maybe some of this, just the false information that's behind it as well, with one or two more points from this poll about the election fraud itself, because that's where a lot of this is being perpetuated. When we asked, do you think there was widespread election fraud? 41% of Utahns said yes. So, yeah, and, and I think this is going to be a lingering issue that we're going to have to deal with as Americans and Utahns for a long time, is that there's a fundamental disconnect on, on what the reality of the situation is. And so um, if you have people who believe that there was widespread election fraud that swung the election, and these, these numbers are not isolated to Utah necessarily. This is, these are numbers that are reflected in polls across the country uh, in the Republican Party. But there, there's, this, there's this disconnect between people who 
who believe the election was legitimate and those who don't, and those who believe that President Trump was totally responsible and those who believe he was not responsible at all. And, and you know, we talk about unity. The, the, the president in his inaugural uh, speech talked a lot about unity. But unifying those two when there's this, there's this foundational difference uh, based, as Rosie mentioned, on where people are getting their information and which, what information they're believing is really going to be a, a, an uphill battle, I think, for, for years to come. Yeah, we've been battling. Did you have something on that point? Oh, I was just going to add to, to Robert's point, which I think is so great, is is that the one thing we, we've never fully tested uh, in our democracy uh, is can it function without trust? Uh, we've, we've tested it against all of the different extremes of the right and the extremes of the left and all the kind of mixes in between and, and scandals like Watergate and so on. Uh, but we've never had a situation where we've really had to go through a period of time with such a deep lack of trust. Lack of trust both for the institutions, mm -hmm. uh, but now that's also spilling over. And we our trust in each other as individuals and in our communities is also fraying. And so to me, that's going to be part of this discussion Robert's alluding to that's going to linger for a while is we've lost We've always had a good skepticism in the country uh, for, for government and for big institutions. Uh, that's a healthy thing. Uh, but now that's starting to fray, uh, and because that trust is becoming so deep, and to Rosie's point, you know, we're having a hard time deciding what is truth anymore. Yeah. But that starts with each of us individually. We have to be responsible uh, for truth first. Can I ask, Rosie, Robert, how are you addressing that in your newsrooms? Because that is a very clear issue, and you are part of this system, all right, of disseminating truth. How are, how are you talking about approaching this? Mm. How have you been? Uh, well, for w what I have found in speaking to the individuals that maybe don't trust local media, I can only speak on the lo local media aspect, is that they feel attacked. There's a fear, right? They, they feel like someone is out to get them. I, I, whenever I approach an individual that's a little skeptic towards us, uh, I can sense that there's a lack of mistrust, and you have to let them know, like, I'm here to amplify your voice, too. I'm here to show you that your voice does matter. We want you at the table. And invite them. Invite to bring them to the table. And then when they feel, and that's why, you know, sometimes it's great to have these discussions raw, right? Um, it's great to allow these individuals to just say what they have to say, and then facilitate that environment for constructive dialogue. I do a lot of social justice reporting, which plays into our politics, and a lot of times people fear coming to the table to discuss this with them because they feel like they're going to be shut out. So we have to reassure these individuals who don't trust the media is that we're going to include you at the table. We're not going to shut you out. We're not going to filter you. We're going to give you equal time, whatever that is. And that's hard. That's an mm -hmm. uphill battle, but that's something that we continuously have to strive for. That's really good. Robert. Yeah, and I think I think Rosie made an excellent point. You know, as as journalists, as as Americans, we need to listen more and talk less, probably, and um, and so we try to do some of that. We try to be as transparent as we can, but we also have to be honest with people. And and you know, we're not going to capitulate when people are. are for example, denying uh, that masks work. You know, this COVID thing has been a real uh, baptism by fire, not just, you know, we've had the, obviously the election season, we've had COVID, all of this has been a real baptism by fire for the for the news media. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's 
it's going to be it's going to continue to be difficult, uh, and and the trust has to be earned. Uh, and, and I think you know, as as, as Boyd is seen at the Deseret News, I mean, they've been taking heat from people like Senator Lee, who who think that you know, who've questioned some of the reporting over there as well. So it's uh, it, it's widespread, and I think uh, we've seen in the last four years with the Trump presidency a real concerted effort to undermine the legitimacy of of all of our institutions, including the news media, and and that's going to be a challenge for us uh, in the years to come. I just want to go back to, to Rosie's point in, in terms of what people are feeling uh, and that disconnect. And, and one of the things that has, has given rise to the kind of populism on both the far right and the far left is this idea that the system is rigged, that uh, those in Washington or those that are wealthy or well-connected, uh, that they can get what they want, but the rest of us are on our own. And so there's that feeling of, of lack of trust uh, and not being seen. And so whether that's in the, in the black community, people not feeling that they are seen in terms of their experience, whether that's our young people feeling like uh, they're kind of getting cheated out, uh, whether it's someone who's dealing with depression or anxiety feeling not seen at all. Uh, and so as, uh, as David Brooks always says, you know, we have to be able to see deeply and be deeply seen. Uh, that's where this all begins. And a lot of what uh, each of our organizations do in terms of telling the truth, to Robert's point, uh, and standing by the truth, and then also making sure that we're listening, uh, that we're allowing people to be heard, because otherwise you end up with these populist movements uh, that, you know, the, the populist movement only has to incite the riot. It doesn't have to lead, it doesn't have to govern, it doesn't have to do the hard work and heavy lifting of bringing people together. Mm -hmm. This bringing together thing is just such an interesting point, and particularly when we talk about truth and where people are getting it. May, may, boy, may give us a comment about this, this interesting article you wrote, because what you said, our nation needs is one very important word, grace. Yeah. Talk, and talk about what you meant by that and how that might impact this very discussion we just had. Yeah, and, and one of the things that's important, we end up with so many uh, false choices uh, that get presented to us, and accountability and grace are actually compatible principles, uh, and we have to, to recognize that, and we have to look at the idea of how we do treat each other uh, and, and what that means, and we can see grace in a lot of different ways. In, in the article you mentioned, uh, I go through different elements of grace, but I think the biggest thing we need in the country right now is a grace period, <laughs> uh, a period where we we can all exhale just a little bit, uh, where we can recognize that all of these things that divide us, uh, the, the country was set up to have open, roiling, big-time debates. That's what makes America, America. So this is not about passive, you know, being passive. This is not about uh, kumbaya moments and group hugs. Uh, this is about rigorous debate. And it's about making sure we respect and reverence life and each other. Uh, because I think more than a political polarization problem, uh, what we really have in the, in the country is a contempt problem. And contempt is that belief in the worthlessness of another human being just because you disagree with them or you don't like them. Uh, and contempt is, is what gives rise to a lot of the things that we see on social media, things that we've seen spilling over into our nation's capital and other places around the country. Uh, so contempt is, is really the issue. And so it's having grace for that person who disagrees with you. Uh, and as Rosie mentioned earlier, go find it. Uh, I think I was uh, talking with Amos Brown uh, from the Third Baptist Church in San Francisco, last, one of the last students uh, trained by Martin Luther King Jr. And he said, what everybody should do today is go out and have lunch, social distance, with someone who thinks different, looks different, or lives different than you. Uh, and to me, that's really where grace begins as we start to recognize uh, all the differences and that oneness is not sameness, uh, but we have a lot of things to work together on in this shared project we call democracy. Wow, that's really good. I appreciate that. Robert, go ahead, because you've talked about this too and written about it recently. 
Yeah, and I, and I, I agree with what Boyd said, and I think uh, we, we live in an environment and a climate where we don't do enough of that seeing and being seen, it's enough of that interacting with people who disagree with us, and seeing people for what for who they are, not necessarily a caricature or a, a, a stereotype of, of what we think they are, you know? And so, um, you know, social media has put us in our bubbles, uh, you know, media in general has put us in our bubbles, and we need to get out of those bubbles and start appreciating people for who they are. I mean, I don't have to necessarily agree with the people who st uh, stormed the Capitol necessarily, but I also shouldn't dismiss everybody who, you know, is a Republican or a conservative just because, you know, they, they belong to that party. I, they, they are individuals, and, and we all have uh, more in common than, than, than not, I think, in, in most cases. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, and it begins with, as Boyd said, that first step, that first, you know, extending the hand, reaching out a little bit, and, and appreciating the humanity in each other. That's really good. Rosie, you want to comment on this, and we'll move on? Yeah, definitely. I think for some reason in the past few years, along with the divisiveness, we're in this mentality now where we're looking for differences amongst each other. We need to find the similarities. And I think that when it comes to local news, um, that's really what we strive for, is to find the similarities in all these different demographics, where, whether it comes to race, socioeconomic background, um, gender, sexuality, um, age. And that's really what we need to do in the first step to try to heal this divide. So that's what I'm really hoping to see. Um, and, I, and I know we're seeing this a lot with right party lines, with loyalty to the party. And I kind of want to bring back Senator Romney. That's kind of why many Utahns have kind of shifted their perspective of him because, you know, they've expected him to stick with the Republican Party, but he's just kind of standing up for what he's always believed in. And he's a very honest person. So that's what I'm hoping to see in the next few years is for us to find the similarities amongst us all instead of the differences. Okay. The, 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 to me, the party thing is is really interesting uh, because you you are getting more and more of these purity tests. Uh, again, both the Democrats have a problem, the Republicans have a problem, uh, and there's a there's a day of reckoning coming uh, for both political parties because they've both become very disconnected uh, with the American people, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's the big challenge. I think on the Republican side, you now sort of have this three pronged animal uh, where you've got those that are kind of loyal to former President Trump, you have those who want to go back to the way it used to be, uh, the establishment running everything and controlling the money with Mitch McConnell, but then there's going to be this third way. Uh, the problem with that is it, it's really hard to win a national election. Uh, even a local election gets really, statewide election gets really tricky. Uh, and probably the best thing the Republicans have going for them is that the Democrats are starting to fill the same tugs and pulls, that the, the far left of their party is tugging one way, the more establishment, you know, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, uh, Joe Biden wing of the party, and then you've got this third way. And so that's going to be some really right. interesting conversations in terms of what does party really fit. I know Robert's hit that a lot in terms of uh, where do we go in terms of political parties uh, and are, would more political parties be better for the country, for some coalition governing mm -hmm. uh, rather than just what we have now? Mm -hmm. Well, we talked so I mean, much. Yeah, I don't think anybody, sorry, I don't think anybody feels well served by the two-party system right now. I think, um, you know, I, we're not black and white, we're not red and blue, we're not donkey or elephant. I think people just don't feel well represented by their government in generally. And it's not functioning either. I mean, this polarization has ground everything to a halt to the point where we can't pass COVID relief, we can't pass a budget, we can't do any of the fundamental things that we expect our government to do because of this polarization. And, and, and if we're going to move forward, that's got to that's come to a stop.
Well, these are great comments, uh, but, but we're gonna have to transition a bit because we're talking about coming together, but we still have to talk about the legislative session a little bit, all right, because we got some controversial <laughs> things that may be a little different than what we just talked about here. But let, let's go through, because importantly, uh, Rosie, so yesterday our legislature passed the base budgets, uh, which keeps the operations of government going. Uh, talk about a little bit some of the strategy, why they do that so early, and you know anything you may have seen inside that that's Utah should know about. From, from what I've heard is that we want to get the big ticket items out of the way. For example, education. That was one of the first things tackled. It takes up some of the uh, biggest chunks of our budget, but it's one of the most important, right? We always hear that there's never enough funding for education, and especially this past year with the way the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted in education, that's more necessary uh, than now. So at least tackling education, we get that kind of squared away. And then we see what we have left, look at the issues that we have left, and see how we're going to approach that. Mm -hmm. It's always interesting, uh, Robert. Uh, so, of course, some of our legislators are worried that ju they're just making sure, you know, just in case something happens, there's an outbreak of some sort, government could go on. But there's also a little bit of sticking it to the governor, a little bit of politics in passing a base budget this early. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, this goes back to the Walker administration and, and the legislature decided to start doing this so they can they can go home now. They don't need to do anything else. Government will function. And so it's, it, it is it is it takes a, a little bit of the leverage away from the governor. And that's the way it's been working for 20 years. They come in and do this base budget right out of the gate. Uh, and, and as Rosie mentioned, it, it takes a lot of the big ticket items, you know, resolves those, they can allocate money, uh, the remaining money later on in the session. And they're very fortunate this year, frankly, because uh, despite the pandemic, despite the recession, uh, the budgets uh, for Utah is much healthier than almost any other state. Uh, and so they have a little bit of breathing room, a little flexibility to the point where they can actually now start talking about um, you know, the governor wants a tax cut, for example, and, and so they're going to start proceeding down that and resolving some of the more contentious items now that they have this sort of foundational budget put to sleep. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to do some rest. rapid fire Sorry. on a couple of these bills, mostly the bad. Exactly, <laughs> exactly right, as Robert said. A, a couple of key bills. I'm just going to hit you and talk about those and maybe some that you have as well. Uh, Rosie, constitutional carry, guns, back in the legislature. Right, we're seeing, this is a very controversial bill. It was a controversial the last time it was in the session. It's controversial now. Uh, we actually just talked about this last night on our show. One end, you know, uh, the pro side, talking about removing barriers um, that would maybe make someone hesitant, right, to uh, conceal carry and on the other end we're talking about concealed carry permits require classes that provide educational awareness on gun safety um, right uh, gu uh, gun use as well as gun storage and, and we need that so it's, it's a very very contentious bill and um, you know it, it might make it all the way up to the governor again yeah very well may it, it doesn't count as a legislative session unless there's at least one gun bill yes okay. uh, thing. and there are some serious things that do need to be taken uh, into consideration with a lot of the gun bills and different things that will come on I think one that's really important is really getting it to how that plays into suicide uh, it's a big issue in the state it's an important issue and so many of those do happen by by gun and so that storage that Rosie was talking about I think those are all really critical pieces of the puzzle yeah okay Ro Robert yeah, one of the concerns yeah. 
Go ahead, Robert. Sorry, one of the concerns that these groups have is that, as Rosie mentions, there's a suicide uh, awareness, suicide prevention piece to the concealed carry class. And so they're worried about losing 160,000 people they're reaching each year uh, to educate them about suicide if people aren't going to be going through that process. Um, and, and also, you know, you've got you've, you've got law enforcement that was against this bill initially, at least. They may, they may be uh, softening that opposition, but, you know, the police chief, sheriffs, uh, and law enforcement all opposed this. Because you know the proliferation of concealed weapons, uh, unregulated concealed weapons, uh, it can be a dangerous thing for them, frankly. So, uh, but I do think this is going to pass. The governor has said he'll sign it this time. Uh, as we know, Governor Herbert in 2013 vetoed it. He threatened to veto it before to kind of keep it in check. Uh, but now it looks like it has an opportunity to actually pass this year. Mm -hmm. uh, so shots. I'll use the the build taken at the Attorney General, Robert. Two bills going after Attorney General Sean Reyes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, this is, stems from the election dispute. Uh, Representative Brian King wants to sort of limit the conditions when the attorney general can join a lawsuit. So as we saw, the attorney general joined the Texas challenge to the election results. Uh, and he thinks that was a bad use of taxpayer money. It was wrong to put the state uh, in that position. And so he wants the AG to at least get permission or check or consult with the governor before before doing this. And then you've got uh, Representative Andrew Stoddard, who's actually talking about impeaching the attorney general. And he wants to be clear on this. He's, he's tried to be clear on this, that he's not trying to actually, you know, proceed with an impeachment necessarily, but he wants an investigation into the attorney general's activities surrounding this uh, Republican Attorney General's Association effort to uh, motivate people to come out to the protests that turned into a riot in the Capitol. And then, you know, and and just to try to get some checks and, and figure out what's going on. But he says this is the only mechanism he has to, to bring about an investigation into the, those events. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of that, too, just in terms of, uh, goes back to what we were talking about before, in terms of trust and transparency. Uh, I think a, a bill that would create more transparency uh, in the AG's office uh, about, you know, what kind of briefs they're signing on to and what the reasoning is, coordinating with the governor's office. Uh, I, again, I think that's part of that transparency and, and trust d debate. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's so interesting. People talk about uh, you know, having a supermajority in the state of Utah, but these very bills kind of demonstrate that even a supermajority, you have very real divisions. Very, right, very, Rosie? yeah, very, very true. And that's um, one great thing about Utah, right, is that there's there's a little bit more of um, distinction, I would say, within party lines, you know, um, versus maybe at um, the nation's capital. Um, and so here we're, we're seeing issues where national is coming into local and local is coming into yeah. national. Yeah, it is true. These are very, very interesting issues. So many more. I invite those viewing to, to visit our legislative website, check out the bills, become engaged wherever you can. Thank you all for your great commentary tonight. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode of The Hinkley Report. If you like listening to the experts talking about the issues, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app.